We are really glad to have you with us. I know what some of you are thinking, particularly if you've been watching for the last eight or nine weeks, and that is, aren't you the guy with the puppet? And I am the guy with the puppet, but I have other skills, cage fighting skills, juggling skills. I wanted to be a professional wrestler, which is why I liked Samson and the story so much as a child, but I never really made it to that. And the truth is that with the choir and the cameramen and the musicians, this is not the smallest crowd that I have ever preached to. There's about 16 people here, and when I was younger, that I would be really, really glad to have that crowd. That was a really good crowd for me early on. Today, I want for us to look as we continue in this story of God's story and our story, realizing that God chooses in the vast majority of Scripture to communicate to us through story. We want to read the story, the end of the story, of one particularly unusual person in the book of Judges. You know that the book of Judges is essentially Israel failing again and again and again and again, and that's certainly what happens here. But today we'll look at the story of Samson. It's found in Judges. The end of it is found in Judges chapter 16, and we'll look at verses 22 through 31. I'm reading in the ESV, but you can read in whatever version that you might have. These are the very words of God. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to rejoice. And they said, our God has given Samson into our hand. <clears throat> and when the people saw him, they praised their God. For they said, our God has given our enemy to us into our hand, the ravager of our country who has killed many of us has been given to us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, call Samson that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars and Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, let me feel the pillars on which the house rests that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there. And on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord God, please remember me. Please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines from my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the Lord's and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtel in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had judged Israel 20 years. 
Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that you will bless this text to us now today, that who, whomever might be watching, that this message from your word might be exactly what they need in the, in, in the situation in which they are. And we pray this in the name of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. When I was a kid, my, I always wished that my name was Samson instead of Samuel. And I didn't realize a lot of the problems that Samson had gotten into, but I knew as a little kid that Samson was really strong and that he was a ladies' man. And I know it's hard for you to believe looking at me now, but I was neither of those two things when I was a kid. And I grew up to read the story of Samson a little bit differently. I grew up to realize that there are all kinds of ways that the life of Samson is, is, is read. You can hear the story of Samson and Delilah as the subject of plays and of songs and of operas. And in fact, there's even one song written from the standpoint of Delilah. But what Samson's life and really what his death teaches us today is that there's always time for redemption. Let's notice three things that, that we see in Samson's life that will help us as we go about our own lives in this very difficult time in the entire world. The first thing that we notice is that Samson promises. Samson's mother, a, a, a spiritual being, comes to her. It's not called an angel. It, it may very well be a Christophany. It may be the early incarnation of, of Christ <clears throat> coming to visit as he does several times in the, in the Old Testament. She's visited by this supernatural being in, in, in Judges 13, and Samson's father and mother have not had a child. They are beyond childbearing age. They're, they're probably never going to have a child, much like Abraham that we've already heard about. And yet, this being comes and says to Samson's mother and his father, you're going to have a child. And the thing that you want to remember is that this child is to take the Nazarite vow. Now, many times people would take the Nazarite vow for certain periods of their life. But Samson, according to what was told to his mother by this being, Samson was supposed to take that vow forever, for his whole life. The vow essentially consisted of three things. Three things that a person who took the vow was not supposed to do. First of all, he was not to drink alcohol, which indicates to us that other people who hadn't taken the vow did indeed drink alcohol. Secondly, he was not to touch the dead. He was not to be in a place where there were a bunch of dead people. He was not to be around a cemetery or a place of the dead. And the third, and the thing that we all remember most, most probably about him, is that he wasn't supposed to cut his hair. And so, Samson goes through his life, and he agrees to this vow, Certainly, because he rises up through the ranks and he becomes a judge in Israel, a 
Israel didn't have kings at this period in their life. It's only later on that we see the, that King Saul comes along and, and is not much better than the judges, but Samuel is one of the worst judges in the entire book, and there's a lot of depravity in the book of Judges. The book of Judges is not something you would want to read to your children at night before they go to bed. There's a lot of really strange things in the book of Judges. Samson goes and he sees a Philistine girl. Samson is, is hard on the Philistine men. He kills a lot of Philistine men. The women, not so much. He's very fond of them. And so he goes and he sees this, this woman, and they're going to have a wedding, but the wedding turns out bad. It turns out bad because Samson has this riddle, and nobody can figure it out. So his fiance comes and says, if you really love me, you'll tell me the truth. He tells her the answer to the riddle. Other people find out. He gets mad, and he, he is so mad that the Philistines come to kill him, but he takes the jawbone of a, of a donkey or the jawbone of an ass, and he kills a lot of Philistine people, thus breaking the first vow not to touch dead people. And then, to make it worse, he sort of makes this Hebrew joke. You don't really get it so much in the English, but he names the place where he had killed all those people. He, he names it Jawbone Heights. Not the kind of place where you would want to stay, probably. If, if you were looking for an apartment, you probably wouldn't pick Jawbone Heights. But Samson wanted everyone to remember just how strong he was, just how virile he was. And his fiance at that time is taken by someone else. And so Samson goes and he finds a prostitute. And the men, the Philistine soldiers say, this is what we'll do. Since Samson is here in our city, we'll surround him until in the morning. Then in the morning we will surprise him and we will kill him for what he's done to our people. And somehow Samson slips out in the middle of the night. He doesn't just slip out in the middle of the night. He takes with him the gates to the city. Doesn't sound like much today, but it would be like a protester taking off the front door of the White House and carrying it with him off to his own land. That would be the, the a humiliation to the country, a humiliation to the people who were supposed to be guarding it. And the way that the city is set up, it's very difficult to understand how Samson could have gotten those gates off without waking up the guards, many of whom slept right there at the gate. But through the, the work of God, Samson takes those gates and he says, in doing that, our God is the real God. And so Samson promised, but the second thing that Samson did in his life, unfortunately, was that Samson prevaricated. That is, he lied. He did things that he was not supposed to do. And as if it's not enough that he's already killed thousands of people, that he's already 
done things that he shouldn't have, that he's already been with a prostitute. As if that's not enough, finally he comes to this woman named Delilah. It's an interesting thing that Delilah is the only woman named in the Samson story. His mother isn't named, his fiancée isn't named, the other prostitute isn't named, but Delilah is named. And that's the reason that we remember this story as a story of Samson and Delilah. And Delilah is trying to get Samson to tell her the source because he didn't just have, he wasn't just a really strong guy. I recently read uh, uh, a biography of the great Andre the Giant who was a really strong guy for part of his life. But as he got into his 30s and his 40s, his strength left him and he couldn't, he could barely walk anymore. Samson's strength was not like that. It was some kind of supernatural strength that had been given to him by God. And as a result of that, the Philistines realized they had to get someone to tell them what the truth of the matter, where does his strength come from? And so Delilah enters into the story, and she's the only one who has the key to really get the truth from Samson. And yet Samson prevaricates. He lies to her. He says, oh, my strength, tie me up with with cord and, and, and that'll do it. And so she waits till he falls asleep. She ties him up with cord. The Philistines come in. He breaks the cord, beats them all down. She says, you don't really love me. You're not telling me the truth. He said, well, okay, uh, braid my hair and, and nail it to the wall. And, and that'll be the take my strength away. And she does that. The Philistines run in. He beats them down again. This happens again. And finally, Delilah says to him, listen, listen, you're not, you're, you don't really love me. You're not telling me the truth. And so Samson finally says, if you shave my head, then my strength will depart. Now, I don't know for sure, and it's it's impossible to tell from the text, whether or not Samson really believed that. Because he's already touched dead people and his strength hadn't departed. He had drunk liquor or wine at his wedding and his strength hadn't departed. And so it it may be that he figured, well, this is not going to happen and I'm not cutting my hair, so God won't take that strength away from me. Sometimes we... We try to weasel out of things that we've promised God, and that seems to be what Samson is doing. But while he falls asleep, Delilah shaves his head, and the Philistines run in, and Samson jumps up to thump them back down again, and he's not able to. He's bound up in chains. And you'll notice later on in the passage that we read today that they gouge out Samson's eyes. It was pretty common in this period in history when a great military leader was captured that they didn't kill him. They kept him for entertainment. There's a fascinating book called In the Eye of the Beholder, and it's about how torture and misshapen people used to be mishandled for the entertainment of those who were around them. It it talks about 
dwarves being asked to dance when they were drunk so that everyone else could, could laugh at them. It talks about misshapen people being sold for high amounts of money so that people could laugh at them. And that's what's going on here in this, in this story. They say to themselves, Dagon really is the great God. Dagon was the God of the Philistines. And we don't know exactly how, how his what Dagon was. There's some who say he was a fish god, but that is probably not exactly right. Some who say he was a god of grain. Again, probably not. Some who say he was a storm god. But the truth is we don't know exactly what kind of a god Dagon was. We know that he was the god of the Philistines. And we know for absolute certain that he was the one whom the Philistines worshiped. And when Samson was captured, they gave praise to Dagon. And they brought him into this building where they were going to give him, <clears throat> in, in, make fun of him. And they were going to laugh at him. They were going to joke with him and not joke in a good way. They were going to make him the object of their scorn. Samson up to that time had been grinding grain. Gr grinding grain was usually left to an animal like a, a donkey. And so Samson, who had killed so many Philistines with the donkey, now he is taking the place of a donkey himself, blind, unable to do anything. But there's this one little tiny phrase that we read today that I want you to remember. Every single phrase that occurs in the, in the Hebrew story is important. But in the 22nd verse that we read today in Judges 16, it says, but the hair of his head began to grow again. There's something in there. God is saying that Samson is growing back in some way or another. And we see that by the third thing that Samson did. Samson not only promised to live a good life, he not only prevaricated and didn't do what he should, but the third and the most important thing that Samson did is that Samson prays. Finally, when he's at the end of his life and all of these people are laughing at him and making fun of him, and they are saying, great is our God Dagon. Samson prays to his God. Samson uses, in the Hebrew text, he uses three different names of God in that short prayer that he prays. And the reason is probably this. He wants everyone to realize that his God is the real God no matter what you call him. And that Dagon is a God who walks around on the leash of Yahweh. So Samson, he grabs hold of those pillars there and his hair has grown back and he starts to pull on the pillars as best he can and his hair has grown back and he pulls on those pillars and the text says that Samson as messed up as his life was, he killed more Philistines in his death than he did in his life. 
And so when we look at this, we come to realize that this is not a love story between Samson and Delilah. This is a love story between God and Samson. This is a reminder that no matter how far Samson had fallen, there was always time for redemption. I, I like the game of, of baseball much better than football. I watch football because that what, that's what men are supposed, are supposed to do in the United States, but I don't have any idea what's going on other than they're, they're ramming into each other and somebody throws a ball. But baseball, on the other hand, it's, it's a much more complex game with all kinds of really important decisions being made in between each pitch. And the thing that's different about baseball from football is that there's always time for redemption. You never run out of time in baseball. Sometimes in football, one or two seconds would make the difference between one team or another team winning. And you know the guy that keeps track of the time is not paying that much attention. He's looking over and, oh, I forgot to turn it. You know that that happens, particularly with one or two seconds. But with baseball, there's no clock. With baseball, there's always, always time for redemption. There was a, a guy named Bob Brindley who played for the San Francisco Giants. He was a catcher, but he was playing third base on this particular day against the Atlanta Braves. And he made three errors in one inning, giving up four unearned runs and allowing Atlanta to take the lead. And you can imagine what he felt like when he came back to the dugout that day. But amazingly enough, as so often happens in sports, the leading run, the tying run is on base, the leading run comes to the plate with two outs. And the leading run is none other than Bob Brindley who had made those errors. Bottom of the ninth, two outs, he has the game on his shoulders. And amazingly enough, he hits a home run reminding us that there's always time for redemption, that despite the errors that he had made before, he made up for it because there's no time. God gives us enough time for redemption. And I want you to think with me today and to remember that in the time that we gather together right here, there, there is time for you for redemption. You may be sitting in a hospital bed wondering what God has done bringing you there. Maybe that was the same thing that Samson was thinking as he was under, underneath the, the, the palace in this, this horrible dungeon, blind, being led around by a little boy. But God reminded Samson, there's always time for redemption. And if you are pushing against the pillars of the COVID virus today, I want to remind you that there is time for redemption. It may be that you're pushing against the pillar of unemployment. We have in this country today a very high unemployment level because of the COVID virus. But I want to remind you 
that God promises his people there's always time for redemption. You may be pushing against the pillar of losing a loved one and wondering why God would bring this into your life at such a horrible time when everything else is going on with the world. I promise you there's time for redemption. You may be horribly thinking of the terrible murder that was committed by those in authority, but God promises us there is a time for redemption. You may be pushing against the pillar of a horrible mistake that you made. Just as Samson, as he was grinding that grain, had all that time to think back in his life and ask himself, why did I do that? Why did I tell Delilah the truth about my hair? What was I thinking? You may be facing that today. You may be asking yourself why you made that particular error. But I promise you that no matter what error you've made in your life, no matter what thing you've done wrong, no matter how many commandments of God you have broken, the story of Samson teaches us that there's time for redemption. And so when you turn your screen off and you say, I like that guy better when he had a puppet, if you will at least remember, if nothing else, you will remember that the story of Samson teaches us there's time for redemption. It may be the ninth inning, it may be the ninth inning with two outs, but there's still time for redemption. Samson came as a strong man. He came with all of the great strength, and yet Jesus came not as a strong man, but as a weak one. Jesus didn't get great strength when he was on the cross to tear it down like Samson did. He hung there and died in weakness and in shame. And yet, that's the reason. The fact that Jesus came as a weak man, and yet it is by his victory that we are made strong. It's because of the great work of Jesus Christ that we always have time for redemption. And so today, Pray with me that the Lord would remind us of this great lesson. Our Father, we are indeed thankful for the lesson of Samson, despite the fact that he fell far short of what he could have been. We are thankful that you use imperfect and unwilling people. We are thankful that you take people like us and as broken and as many mistakes as we have made, you still give us one more chance. And today, Lord, I pray that just as you gave Samson one more chance, you will remind everyone who is listening today that our Lord Jesus Christ stands ready to offer to them 
one more chance. And I pray, Lord, that they will take that chance, that they will know what it means to leave their mistakes behind them and to change and to be redeemed. And we pray this in the name of the Lord of redemption, the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.